So you're trying to get a job with one of these firms, which means you have to work for them during the summer mm-hmm. uh, after your second year of law school. And then if you do well enough, they offer you your permanent job while mm-hmm. you're still in law school. So you know what your fate is, you know what your salary is and all that stuff. But as it turns out, while you're clerking, they pay you a really absurd salary. Mm-hmm. And so my clerkship lasted five weeks. Right. And I lived with my mom while I was clerking because, again, I'm trying to save money. I'm contributing to the household. When I showed my mother that my shit. first paycheck, <laughs> she almost passed out. Right. I mean, like, and this is when I'm clerking during the summer. This right. isn't yeah. the salary yeah, I'll eventually have, yeah, right? right. right. And, and then at one point at the end of the summer when I showed her, like, my final check and I said, I think it went well. I think they're going to invite me back. The final check sort of showed everything that you made during that summer over that six weeks working with them. And my mom gets misty out again. I was like, you've seen this check before. This shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. She says, no, it's just that the amount of money that you made in this six weeks working with this law firm is more than I've made in a full year wow. since you've been in high school. Oh, my God. <sighs> Boy. That's yeah. when you say, what was the difference of me yeah. going to law mm-hmm. school? Yeah. It was that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it allows you to, if you educate an impoverished child, you'd be surprised the impact you can have, mm-hmm. not only on that child, but the blast radius on that impact yeah. covers the family. I yeah. sent my younger brother to college. Mm-hmm. After that, my sister had children. My nieces all graduated from college. I was able to make my mom's life better. Uh, I am so excited about today's guest. Um, have gotten to know Randy Bowman over the last, you know, few months. And first time I met Randy, I, I was in awe because because uh, we sat down and wisdom was being kicked for two hours. Like <laughs> I was just sitting there and it was pouring into me. And Ben, today I know Tyler's going to show up in a minute, so I want those listening that know that Tyler, you're going to hear Tyler's voice here shortly. But um, Randy Bowman. Randy Bowman is the CEO of At Last, uh, the first boarding experience for Dallas ISD students, Dallas Independent School students, whose homes lacked the stability needed for, for, uh, to reach higher achievements. And, and this is not a boarding school per se. This is a home away from home, right? Yes. I want to make sure I got this right. This is a home away from home. So Monday through Friday, At Last boards these kids and then on weekends, they go home. Sunday through Thursday. Sunday through Thursday, yes. they go home. Um, no, well, yeah. They're right. with us Sunday through Thursday. So they're with you Sunday through Thursday. Yes. And then um, uh, they go home uh, for, for a couple the of weekends. days there on the weekends. So uh, this is an experience. And on this show, we always talk about our, our, our core values. And our core values on this show are always serving the community, like mm. truly serving the community. And I'm not just saying just, okay, I see it. I'm going to send a check. No, spending the time with your resources, whether that be your time, money, whatever, and serving, truly serving the community. Those are our core values on this show. And Randy, you're the epitome of that. Mm, you speak you. directly to that. And I want to talk, cause I can't tell you, I can't, I could talk about it last right now, but 
I have to talk about you and your experiences growing up, you being a, an independent, a Dallas independent school kid uh, mm-hmm. and going to school in the district. Let's go back and talk about why Randy Bowman is doing what he's doing. But I, first, I want to go back and talk about your, your upbringing and, 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 and your family dynamics as well. Okay. So I'll start with just saying thank you mm-hmm. for having me. I really appreciate it. Every chance we get to amplify this story yeah. benefits the kids that we serve and the community that we serve and ultimately benefits all of Dallas. And I'm a Dallas guy. Mm-hmm. Like I did my formative years here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I'm a Pleasant Grove guy to be more precise grove. and a Grove guy <laughs> to be more colloquial. <laughs> right. So I'm a Grove guy. Right. And uh, I did attend DISD schools. I mean, Burleson, Comstock, Spruce, mm. sort of elementary, middle school, high school progression. And that was sort of, that was my way. Mm-hmm. That was my way. That was my life. And I still consider myself to be a Grove guy. Right. Like I mm-hmm. still spend time with my folks uh, from the Grove. And it's, uh, it's, it's good for my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good for my soul. Not all of my service can be uh, to areas that aren't proximal to my experience. Mm-hmm. Most of my service needs to be to areas that are proximal to my experience because those areas have such great need. And I am one of those prototypical kids, one of those stereotypical kids uh, that, that people envision that may have grown up in an impoverished area. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, who is like an amazing woman, I, I've never met a better mother than my mom. Mm-hmm. All of your moms can be tied with my mom right. for first, <laughs> but she's, yeah, yeah, she's there. She's, she's, that, she's that woman. Um, She's one of those women, though, that society looked down on. And it made life uh, hard for her and her children. So there were the four of us. She mm-hmm. started having kids when she was a teenager. I was the second of those children that she had. And, you know, she was not married when she began having children. She wasn't married when she had me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, society has thoughts about that. None of which, um, many of which are often ill-informed. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let right. me say it in that way. And, and so she did her absolute best, but she was um, very intelligent but undereducated. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's, it's a notion of having native intellect but not having that native intellect refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so she's an intelligent woman, but she was undereducated. And, and so she has these children, and she's trying to raise them in Pleasant Grove. Uh, she uh, did it largely on her own, mm-hmm. and I was the oldest boy. And so the oldest boy has a laboring oar to carry you know, mm-hmm. in, you know, in these types of families. Mm-hmm. And so she needed me to be more responsible. And that was, that was fine by me. So I started, I had my first hustle when I was uh, 10. Was it a legal hustle? It was legal. Okay. And it, as I understood the law as a 10-year-old. Right. <laughs> well, as a 10-year-old, yes. who eventually yes. became an attorney. So, yes. but at 10 yes. years old. Yes. Okay. As a 10-year-old. Was it voiceover work? Because your voice, my goodness, man, it is phenomenal. It was, it was not. Thank you. It was not. And at, at 10, I can assure you it was not. Right. So, no, it was not voiceover work. It, it, we were, we were uh, refreshing automobiles at a car wash is what we would do. They wash their car and I'd be up there with a squirt bottle and I'd say, can I refresh your automobile? Huh. Because you know, smoking was big yeah. then, oh, yeah. and the cars yeah. just smelled like the bottom of an ashtray. And so mm-hmm. I'd go in and I'd squirt some smell good into their car and they'd mm-hmm. give me a dollar 
and I'd go park, park my little butt back over there by the, by oh, the um, yeah, that's nice vacuum hustle. cleaner until somebody else came yeah. around. Oh. And so that was, those were long days, but they wound up making money. So my mom needed me to go to work early. So mm-hmm. I had my first hustle when I was 10. I had my first job when I was 12. And it's, uh, and I've not been without a job, honestly, since then. Mm-hmm. And it was the kind of thing where you're not working for uh, pocket change. Mm-hmm. You're spending money of your own. You're working to help make the household yeah, work. Right, right. But uh, I'm not the... And I'm not the protagonist of that story. My mom is because even as she needed her eldest son to go out and work, she made sure that she did all that she could to be the best mom that she could for our family. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a difficult slog trying to get up that hill. Uh, it wasn't always pretty. And my mother wasn't always uh, perfect in her execution. She wasn't always perfect in her planning and the only thing that I can tell you is that she was perfect in her love for us. Mm-hmm. And she was perfect in how she poured belief into me mm-hmm. of my ability to accomplish special things. Right. She didn't know how to tell me how I would do it. Like none of those things were really uh, within, her, within her basket of skills. Mm-hmm. But she was amazing at getting me to believe in the possibilities that were out there. And she was resilient, and she taught us the, the strength of resilience. And so that was sort of our, sort of our upbringing. It was, uh, it was, it was a challenging life, mm-hmm. but uh, she managed to make it one that still had elements of joy in it. Right. Right, and yeah. where you would learn to enjoy uh, sacrifice yeah. you know, for the family. How were, how were you academically at a young age, and, how, and your brothers and sisters? So it's, it's interesting. That is and it's a really good question. So... Academically, I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I was pretty good. Naturally? Um, you know, I think that I've got a pretty good instrument. Right. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, my native intellect, I think, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But it was highly unrefined. Right. Okay. You know, people talk about how many words you hear spoken by the time you're five, how many books you read, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. And uh, ours was not a household where there was a lot of education. We were not in a family where there was a lot of education. Right. So, pretty good instrument, mm-hmm. but... Native intellect, largely unrefined. Mm-hmm. So I made good grades in school, sometimes because um, uh, sometimes because I was in a neighborhood full of people that were equally challenged. Right. Mm. And so mm. I didn't make a oh. B until I was in the eighth grade, mm. but I didn't do anything special to make mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. And then in the eighth grade, I'm, I'm working, like I'm going to school, mm-hmm. and I'm going to practice, and then I'm going to work. And I'm getting up in the next morning. I'm doing the same thing over again. So I just stopped doing homework. And because something had to give. Right. right? Yeah. Right. And, and so my, my grades were still good, but they were no longer stellar. Mm-hmm. And right. so I go and I graduate from high school and I'm in mm-hmm. the top 10% of my class. So I can go to the University of Texas, mm-hmm. which meant that I could go to a school that was a state school. Right. And so it became incredibly affordable. And so the notion of an impoverished kid being able to get into school solely off the strength right. of being in the top 10%, being able to get into a state school, yeah. was a key to opening the door for me. Because in college, I would still have to work mm. to send money home. Because remember, I have two younger brothers. Right. And I have a mom whose uh, health is becoming challenged at that point, And her ability to work mm-hmm. becomes uh, compromised. And so I was able to... I was able to go to college because the University of Texas was very affordable. 
I which is amazing to hear because things have changed yeah. Yeah. dramatically. Yeah. yeah, it's still a lot more affordable than other places. The state schools are. Mm-hmm. If you're, yeah. 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 So relatively speaking, if, Texas, if yeah. you're an in-state person, yeah. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the private schools are are ridiculously expensive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I was able to go there. I was able to work. I was able to send money home and still sort of pay my way through school. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I was incredibly fortunate, incredibly blessed to find a narrow pathway that would allow a kid with my demographic, mm-hmm. with my background to, yeah, to get there. So you had to work extremely hard. And you mentioned earlier is you joyfully but sacrificially worked and served um, and and to serve your younger siblings, your older sibling, your mom. But those are long days. As you mentioned, working at the car wash, they're long days, going to school, uh, going to work, doing all the things that you did. What was the motivation to keep pressing forward for you? What was that mindset to say, hey, listen, it's hard, but it's all worth it? Was it a sense of, hey, my mom instilled belief in me and I know that I can accomplish these things. Was it, I need to do better than where I grew up. What was the motivation that kept you going through those hard times? Yeah. I found motivation easy to come by. You'd be, you'd be shocked at how strong a motivator necessity is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and poverty yeah. does a really good job <laughs> yeah, of introducing yeah. you to the necessity uh, of finding your motivation. Mm. So that was one thing. And I do not say that to say that poverty in someone's life is a good thing. Yeah, like sure. There are other ways to find your motivation. And honestly, uh, I would like to have found my, my motivation otherwise. Yeah. Um, the other strong motivator for me, though, was I just needed to make my mom's days better. Yeah. Right. Right. And if the only thing that I needed to do to make my mom's life better was that I needed to work a little more, mm-hmm. that I can do. That sister's life was hard. She was, her life was hard. I mean, you think about it. No little girl sits back and says, one day I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a mom. And I'm going to have made choices and sometimes land in circumstances that prevent me from being Mm -hmm. a wonderful mom for my children. I'm going to one day not be able to meet all of their basic needs. And I'm not going to be able to provide them with the educational opportunities they need for a good adult life. No young girl dreams that Mm -hmm. when she's contemplating becoming a mother. That's right. So when that happens in their lives, it's debilitating to their soul. Mm. And my mom's inability to be the mom she always envisioned being, even though she was great, Mm -hmm. she wasn't what she always envisioned being. It was corrosive to her soul. And she didn't, she wasn't doing for her children what she wanted. And because she didn't have health insurance, as that frustration in her life caused her to spiral into depression, mm-hmm. she wound up self-medicating mm-hmm. and still with alcohol and still was an amazing mom. If you can watch someone who's sacrificing everything for you and pouring everything she has into you mm-hmm. and not be willing to go out and work to help make things work in that family... Right. There's probably some introspection that you need to engage right. in. Right. 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 Yeah. So, so, so the motivation was easy to find. Okay. So you talk about dreams. What about you? Did you have dreams or were you too busy just surviving and keeping things afloat 
Or did you have goals? Did you have dreams? Was there things that you were after? Did you have time for that? Yeah. I mean, I had dreams, but I've never been a guy without dreams. I think all people have dreams, right? And then it's a question of whether or not you have access ways that allow you to get to them. And then whether or not you choose those access ways and prosecute that in a way that makes sense. So I had dreams and my dreams initially were derivative of my mom's hopes for my life. Mm -hmm. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. So my dream became, became, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I realized that that's really not where my gifts were. Mm -hmm. It also wasn't where my intellectual curiosity was. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's one of those, it's like you show up at, your parent tells you, I want you to be a running back. And then right. you realize I'm actually a DB. Right. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't have I the inclination, the skills. Like right. I, I want to crash into someone, <laughs> take right. the ball away. And so I needed, what I had to do is to uncouple my dreams and ambitions from my mom's desires for me. She wanted a doctor. Mm -hmm. What she really wanted was for my life to be a happy life. Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to do the things that were interesting to me. So I needed to formulate my own goals and dreams. And so I did. I shared them with her and said, this is what I'm trying to do with my life. And some of that stuff registered with her and, and some of it did not. Right. So ultimately she said, baby, I just want you to be happy. Go and do your thing. Right. And so that's what I, that's what I did. I wanted to get two years of college under my belt um, because then I, could be a, then I could apply for a job in the post office or with the fire department, mm -hmm. the best jobs on the penumbra, on the edge of our neighborhood, yeah. were folks who worked in the post office. Mm -hmm. And if you could get a postal job, you may, you came up, you you were coming up, oh, in a you big were coming way. up, yeah. you'd arrive, yeah. we made it, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's great stuff. Isn't that crazy wow. how the perspective and the thoughts that you had as a kid, just from being in that experience and living in that world, similarly to you, oh, and my deal was. I want to be a cop. I want to be a police officer. Yeah. I want to be a fireman because that's all I saw. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That was success. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like that's the highest yeah. ranking executive. Or I, I met. Be, or I can be a drug dealer, a CEO drug dealer off the corner. But I knew the life expectancy of that guy was a lot shorter. So it's a short career yeah. and a short life. Yeah. You know, and you live it in fear and anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was um, that was my goal. I wanted to get 30 hours of college. And then my thought was. My pathway to my dreams needed to be rational. Like mm -hmm. I speak often about rational hope because mm -hmm. I didn't really receive well this notion of you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. Like I'd like to not be poor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I still am. Apparently yeah. I can't just be whatever I <laughs> want to be. And so I needed to have a rational pathway. And for me, a rational pathway to a life that was not impoverished was if I can get 30 hours of college, right. apply to the post office or the fire department, and get a job at either of those places, I will no longer be poor. Mm. That was my dream. And then my thought was, when I get to 30 hours of college, then the goal becomes, I want to finish college and pursue a career. But rational for me was being able to take one step at a time mm. to a step that I can imagine being able to accomplish and achieve, not sort of shooting over the moon yeah. right. to a destination mm -hmm. that I had no pathway to get yeah. to mm -hmm. yeah yeah so let's go back here because your experience in life was you lived in the grove um and if those that are listening you know the grove to this day is one of the roughest areas in dallas there, there, there's a you know there's a lot to that that yeah. community yeah uh, you go to college 
what was your first, again, the experiences you had in the Grove and the people that you're surrounded by are going to be totally different than those that at the University of Texas. What was that experience like when you first got to Austin? Yeah, it turns out you're exactly right. <laughs> H. Grady Spruce and, and the University of Texas bore little resemblance. Right, right. <laughs> right. And, and the, the things that were the most different were really because of deficits within me, mm-hmm. like deficiencies in my human capital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how it is that I understood life, how it is that I approached life, how it is that I processed things. Mm-hmm. So it was largely within me. But at that time, it seemed as if it was really about these oh, other folks really yeah, not yeah. getting it. Yeah. And so the biggest, uh, the biggest shocks to me were that people didn't wonder mm-hmm. about how things were going to work out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they, they had a plan. They had resources. I would hear people in college say, I'm poor. And what they really meant was that mom hadn't sent the check that week yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or mom did send the check for that month. Yeah. They spent all the money. Yeah. And now they've got yeah. two more weeks before the money arrives right. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, I am going to work when I get off, get out of class here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to send the money back to Pleasant Grove. Wow. The flows of resources were opposite for us. Right. Things were flowing into them. Things were flowing away from me and back right, home. Right. And again, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. That was perfectly fine. The other thing that really shocked me was uh, how woefully unprepared I was for college, mm-hmm. despite doing well in high school. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had uh, almost maximized uh, the curriculum at my inner city high school. Mm-hmm. And my teachers were great, by the way, so mm-hmm. I'm not here to complain yeah. about them. Right. I felt like I'd almost maximized the possibilities within that curriculum. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the University of Texas, everything that I knew they covered within the first six weeks yeah. in all of my core classes. And I was like, man, I was counting on this knowledge <laughs> to sort of get me through. I'm taking through my 30 hours. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm trying to get to 30 hours here, but I'm at six right. weeks. <laughs> this is not going well. So that, that piece... Uh, Shocked a brother. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, The other thing that was really surprising to me was just um, uh, the social milieu in which we were operating. The conflict resolution Mm -hmm. approach in college was entirely different from the conflict resolution approach in the Grove. Like I've, (laughs) I've never started a fight in my life, but I've been in. Right. <laughs> just walked into them. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of yeah, fell into Just here to get yeah. milk, guys. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm here for milk, but if this is part of it, we are where we are. Right. <laughs> and it, it wound up, though. I mean, it's, and again, I'm not advocating the approach, but it was so much more efficient. Right. Mm. And, you know, if, if we're not seeing the world the same way. Right. We can come to reconciliation. Right. right? Yeah. We may yeah. not yeah. be in peace afterwards, but we will be at reconciliation. Yeah. And in college, that was not the approach to conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in so many ways, it was, it was really, really good for me to, um, to be in college and to just see the world a different mm-hmm. way. And it was really in college and as much outside the classroom as within that I was able to sort of refine mm-hmm. uh, my intellect right. and to uh, play this instrument better. Right. And it was in college that I was able to develop confidence that I wasn't just Grove smart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's right. like being a good athlete on, yeah. a, on a bad mm-hmm. team. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's right. like I wasn't just Grove smart. It's like I can play with 
any of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not because you're scrubs. Right. It's right. because, you know, I'm not bad at this. Uh, I want to go back, like, well, as we move on through the show, I want to go back to the, your experiences because those same experiences we see where kids are, you know, they're in a certain circumstances and they elevate and they get into college. And because they've had these, this experience where their education hasn't been that strong. Now they're playing from behind and it's like, you got to yes. catch up. And I want to go back through that. Yep. I, especially when yeah, we start talking I, about yeah, at last. I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that's, that's important to recognize because, you know, really people from bubbles elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's like, well, same curriculum. Like, I mean, you're in the same yeah. state. You're in the same. Like, so, you know, why is why is Pleasant Grove, why is the Grove different than East Dallas? Or why right. is the Grove different than North Dallas? Or like, Plano, yeah. You all have the same, same, yeah. it's not. So, I, I wanted, no. I, I agree with you. I want to yeah. dig into that. But Okay, so we go into college. So, you are, okay, let's go to your junior, senior years in college. You, you know, what's your thought process now? Is things are changing? Um, mm-hmm. you, you're understanding the landscape and, and now your own personal goals are changing. So where, where, what's, where are you headed now? So heading into my junior year of college, there were two thoughts that were sort of predominant. Number one was that my middle brother uh, was already in the state penitentiary. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to catch him. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it's my job to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like my old man wasn't around. Right. So it was me and my mother mm-hmm. raising our family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wasn't able to do that. Uh, my youngest brother I was going to be graduating uh, high school in 1989. So entering my junior year of college, the goal was, number one, I've decided by that time that I wanted to become a lawyer. I wanted to go to law school. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And... I didn't want to be a criminal defense lawyer. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be a personal injury lawyer. I didn't want to be a family lawyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not because there's anything wrong with those disciplines, Mm -hmm. but because, honestly, I was uh, tired of watching black people be impoverished. Right. Mm -hmm. And the the purpose of the civil rights movements, in in many ways, was to give us access to the broader game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in order to really play in the broader game, you sort of have to know how to create commerce. Mm-hmm. So my thought was, what if I went to law school and focused on how it is that capital gets accumulated, mm-hmm. deals get done, mm-hmm. and wealth gets created? Wow. That seems to be an area where we don't have a lot mm-hmm. of us. And in so many ways, that seemed to me as if we weren't making a great utilization of the sacrifices from the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll go and do that. I was sold. So I said, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> the challenge was, so my second thought, so that was the first thought. I want to go to law school and I want to be able to do deals. My second thought was, I can't miss my youngest brother. Mm-hmm. So I have to finish law school right. by the time he finishes high school so that I can send him to college. Mm-hmm. Mm. Those are my two big thoughts uh, going into my, my junior year. And so I'm really happy to say that both of those uh, worked out for me. Law school went really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a job at a great firm back here in Dallas. Right. And my, I graduated law school in 89. He graduated high school in 89. And so my brother is a proud graduate of Texas Southern University. Mm. And Congrats, so that, that's what yeah. I was thinking in my yeah. junior year wanna, of college. I want to I marinate on that, graduating from law school. I mean, what, what was that experience like for your family? Uh, I know 
you said your mother's health was starting to decline. Was she able to be there for your law school graduation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, what was that? What was that like? So law school was ridiculous. It was getting accepted into law school was almost like I've been accepted into a different universe. Yeah. Like an entirely yeah. different life. Like we don't have college graduates in our family, let alone right. lawyers. Right. So it's just a different world. Um, for my mom, it was in, it was incredible because it, again, her, when I say that her health was failing, the primary thing at that point was that she was battling uh, alcoholism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and doing it and doing it well. I mm. thought like she's putting up a good fight. I'm proud right. of that sister. <laughs> so, so that's, um, so law school is this law school is typically three years and pretty early on, you're going to know whether you're destined for a really good job at a big firm yeah. or if you're not. And if you're not, you can still make a great living, make a great life. But if you are, you're going to be making pretty good money from the moment yeah. mm-hmm. you graduate. Yeah. Right. And so you get those jobs by going out and I doing mean, postman money. <laughs> um, Close. I'm going to go right ahead and tell you that I outstripped my goal. <laughs> In terms of what I was going to get from the post office, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to that. Oh, man. And yeah. I like that. I like that. And, and so you're trying to get a job with one of these firms, which means you have to work for them during the summer mm-hmm. uh, after your second year of law school. And then if you do well enough, they offer you your permanent job while you're mm-hmm. still in law school. So you know what your fate is, you know what your salary is and all that stuff. But as it turns out, while you're clerking, they pay you a really absurd salary. Mm-hmm. And so my clerkship lasted five weeks. And I lived with my mom while I was clerking because, again, I'm trying to save money. I'm contributing to the household. When I showed my mother my first paycheck, (laughs) she almost passed out. I mean, like, and this is when I'm clerking during the summer. This isn't the salary I'll eventually get, right? right? And, and then at one point at the end of the summer, when I showed her like my final check and I said, I think it went well, I think they're going to invite me back. The final check sort of showed everything that you made during that summer over that six weeks working with them. And my mom gets misty out again. I was like, you've seen this check before this shouldn't, you know, she says, no, it's just that the amount of money that you made in this six weeks working with this law firm is more than I've made in a full year. Wow. Since you've been in high school. Boy. That's when you say what was the difference of me going to law Mm. school. Yeah. It was that. Right. Mm. It it, it allows you to, if you educate an impoverished child, you'd be surprised the impact you can have, Mm. not only on that child, but the blast radius on that impact covers the family. I sent my younger brother to college. After that, my sister had children. Mm-hmm. My nieces all graduated from college. I was able to make my mom's life better. Hey, guys, I want to take a quick break from this conversation and remind you or let you know that it's the $1.5 million Moonlight Millions giveaway every single Saturday from October 23rd, that's this Saturday, to November 27th at Choctaw Casino and Resort in Durant. Play with your rewards card to earn entries for drawings and a share of the $1.5 million. Don't miss the Moonlight Millions giveaway this fall at Choctaw Casino Resort Durant. We're raising the stakes all the way to the moon. So if you hate free money, 
Go ahead and skip forward back to the rest of this episode. If you love free money, go check out Choctaw Casino Resort. As I said, use your rewards card and uh, win you some free cash. That's never a bad thing. All right, guys. Appreciate you. Love you. Now back to the episode. It's That was the, the impact on going to college. And she was able to come to the graduation. It was like the highlight of her life. This yeah. is at a great time. It, it was great, man. So I... I am grateful for that experience. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Man, that's so strong. What, walk us through those first couple years uh, at a large firm in, in a big city. It's, it's a grind. But you were especially prepared for the grind, I'd imagine, based off of what you, what you had done starting at 10 years old. Yeah. What, what, what were those first years like? So... It's another great question. I mean, you guys are pretty good at this. Man, we are on the spot, bro. That's how it is. It's a good conversation. Um, one of the things that growing up impoverished can do is to prepare you for great comfort in a really difficult life. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't, I haven't really felt as if I'd faced a hard time mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. I left the Grove. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't own a hard time mm-hmm. that I don't feel I can manage emotionally. Right. Like, even if I fail at the thing, mm-hmm. emotionally, right. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, I know seen, where you're going. I know. You know what I mean? I I've seen my mean. mother yeah. struggle, man. Yeah. It's, like, you don't have a greater disappointment for me than the things that, that I've seen. Uh, yeah. And so I wasn't um, stressed. About those first few years mm-hmm. in that law firm, I wasn't stressed about that grind. Uh, honestly, I wasn't even stressed about keeping that job mm-hmm. because law school had gone sufficiently well for me that if I didn't have that job, I'd have yeah. another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, um, I wasn't stressed about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you get to that point, in some ways it becomes liberating mm-hmm. because then the only stress that you have are the pressure Mm-hmm. is the pressure of your own goals. Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. sort of what do I want to do? What is my responsibility mm-hmm. to not simply make a good living, but to sort of live a good life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. By this time, I'd figured out that, um, that I'm not replicated often mm-hmm. from the Grove. Mm-hmm. And not because we don't have great people there, but because at some point the hill is so steep mm-hmm. that no matter how hard... Sisyphus pushes that stone up the hill. Right. It's coming back, back down. down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 95% of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if the grove isn't going to be able, if poverty isn't going to be able to replicate me often, mm-hmm. I need to get a pretty good yield yeah. out mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. You know, so my, I felt like my obligations were bigger than uh, those that I had to myself and bigger than, than all of that. So I didn't feel a lot of pressure during those first but were you able to decipher the difference between the external pressure of working in a law firm versus the internal pressure that you put on yourself? Yeah. So you recognized at that point, like, okay, hey, look, I know this is all self-imposed. Because mm. I feel like people get those confused, right? Like, mm. as you're saying this, I'm like, I feel stressed all the time. Right. But, like, and I'm thinking about it, like, I don't get any of that because of work. Like, the physically coming from someone else. It's all mm-hmm. internally mm-hmm. imposed. Was, right. But mm-hmm. to be able to, and I've, I don't, I've never made that rec, like that correlation, which is interesting. But you at that time, you're like, 
this is on me. It's I still feel stress, yeah. right? It's a question yeah. of how you process it. Yeah. I can't go back to the poverty I've known. Yeah. So, right. you know, it's like I'm on the high wire. Yeah. But instead of if I fall off at one point in life, I'm splattering on the hard concrete a hundred feet below. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I fall off now, I'm going to get caught by a safety net in about 15 feet. I'm going to be okay. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't. Yeah. I process that stress differently. I can't yeah. go back to what I knew. And my mother and I sat around the kitchen table when I was a preteen working out the family's bills and understanding what was going to be turned off that month, mm-hmm. when it was going to happen, mm-hmm. and what wasn't. Man. So that is not great for a kid, by the way. Right. Like mm-hmm. I had a bleeding ulcer at 14. Mm-hmm. So it's not great for a kid. I am not recommending this yeah. path. Right. I'm saying, though, that uh, with all of the horrible things that come out of it, mm-hmm. there are some things that come out of it that give you a greater armor mm-hmm. for what comes later in life. And the other thing that came out of it, though, in, in terms of, yes, I could deal with the stress of it and the grind of it. But the other thing is I wound up becoming fairly reliant upon me mm-hmm. and my own efforts right? and not entrusting others yeah. to lift me out of my circumstance because I didn't see the cavalry gathering up on the hill right. while yeah. we were impoverished growing up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing on that hill, yes. brother. It's just you. You. Exactly. And your mom. Yep. And your effort. You know, and I, God, I want to go down this road. Who's this sound like? I was right. going to say, I, I didn't have that perspective until I met Darren. Yeah. And that's what you're saying just rings so true to me as you're saying that. Because it does fall on you. Yes. In the end. Yes. In the end, if you want to make whatever your goal is, you can't look outside. It it comes right back to you. If you want to make a change within the community or you want to make a change in any aspect, it starts with you. And you had to learn that at a young, Mm -hmm. very, very young age. As did you. Yes. So I I totally understand that. I want to go back and start talking. You're recognizing this. You know where you are in your life, that you've reached your goal of what you wanted to accomplish. But when did it start to happen to you to say, okay, now it's time for me to truly get back into the community and and start to serve and uplift this community? Because, man, I don't – I am so proud of you, man. (laughs) Randy, I'm serious, man. I sit here and watch you, and we've had these conversations. But you're doing something that I've always wanted to do. just never got back there to do it. And, and I'm watching you with At Last and being a CEO of, of At Last really move the community in, in a positive way. So let's let's start going down that road and how okay. you got there. Okay. So it's in terms of the decision to say, this is the time that I need to focus on that. So here's sort of how I got there. It was, I was approaching 50 which is now well in the rearview mirror for me. (laughs) I was approaching 50, right? And I was thinking, I spent my first 25 years in life just trying to get out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Like that was a goal. Let's just get through this. Let's get out of poverty. I wanted my next 25 years of life to be about having the family that I was looking for, Mm -hmm. you know, finding a good soulmate, and then being comfortable in life. And who knows, swing for the fences a little bit, see how it plays out. Mm -hmm. That was my next 25 years Mm -hmm. in life. And so I was approaching 50, and I was like, well, okay, you've gotten through those two phases. Mm -hmm. And always playing in the background for me was this notion of you are where you are because you have a grace-yielding 
heavenly father mm-hmm. and an amazing earthly mother. Mm-hmm. So you need to give honor to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm approaching 50 and I've got all this sort of running around in my head. And so like at this point, there's a lot of traffic, right? Mm-hmm. So like I need right. to sort this mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, all right, so I'm 50. Uh, I, I am hopeful that I'll have 25 more years of good cognitive. Mm-hmm. And the best way for me to spend the next 25 years of this good cognitive will be honoring the sacrifice that my mom made and doing the first 25 years for me to be able to get to mm-hmm. what I was looking for in life. Right. right? right. Being able to live a good adult life, mm-hmm. find a wife and a soulmate and have kids and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so once I decided that that's what I wanted to do with the next 25 years, mm-hmm. then the goal became, okay, by this time I've, I've ceased the practice of law. I practiced law for 12 years. I started a logistics company mm-hmm. um, from scratch with my business partner yeah. in 2001 and ran it for 17 years. It went well. We were very blessed. We were fortunate. I sold my interest. And so then it becomes you've sold your interest. Now you've sort of cleared the runway to do that thing that mm-hmm. you want to do. Mm-hmm. What is it going to be? And the best way I could figure to honor my mom's sacrifice was to take today's moms who are in the position that she was back then mm-hmm. when they are great moms, the loving moms, they want the best for their children, mm-hmm. but they are, for whatever reason, unable to give their kids all the things they wanted to give them to enable the kids to live a good adult life. Right. Right. So I need to find or create the program that will enable those moms to do that for their children is the best way to honor my mom having done that Mm -hmm. for me. And so I decided to target on something that was not available for my mom that I could make available for these mothers now. And that became at last. That's so let's, let's go into at last. Okay. Like I'm telling you, cause I'm I'm listening to the story and I know you you guys know I've I've had conversations with Randy in the past, but I I want them to share. I want you to share what at last means within the community, because we're talking about the Dallas independent school district, which you came in, came up from giving back into that, into that fold. It's, this is not, let's talk directly to to what at last means and what it is. Sure. And so at last again exists to serve those impoverished moms. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. We are agnostic on the school. If you're in an impoverished family, I will serve you. If you're in the DISD, uh, a charter school or a private. No, obviously my uh, my heart rests with the DISD. Right. And that's that's mm-hmm. who I want to benefit. And so what it seeks to do is this. At last exists to help kids perform better during the seven hours a day that they are in school by giving them better educational resources Mm -hmm. during the 17 hours a day that they are not in school. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. And how I wound up sort of taking that approach was, you know, I'm sometimes I like complex business and social problems. Like I like spending my time on Mm -hmm. that. And so I was trying to figure out, um, how would you improve urban education for impoverished children if you dismissed all the conventional wisdom and all the best practices and just boiled the problem down to its most intractable part? Mm-hmm. What's the piece of this that's keeping it from working? And the research that I saw said that the kids who perform best in school are the ones who come out of households 
that have middle class and above resources. Right. Right. That's true when you control for race. That's true when you control for gender. That's true when you control for the quality of the school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if it's true, even when you control for the quality of the school, that suggests to me that the 29% of the day that you spend in school certainly matters. Mm -hmm. But the 71% of the day that you spend at home has more predictive value than the 29% of the day that you spend at school. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense if you think about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. The tax base tries, not always well, Mm -hmm. not always successfully, but it tries to level out the amount of educational resources that every kid gets in school every day. Mm -hmm. That's what our property taxes are about. So the tax base tries to even out the educational resources when you're at school. Mm -hmm. Nothing evens out the educational resources during the 71% of the day when you're at home. Right. Right. And so as a business guy, if I had a struggle in a segment of my logistics company, let's say in profitability, I wouldn't try and fix that by working on the part of the business that only impacted 29% of the problem. I'd focus on the part that affected 71%. So maybe I'll do that. Mm -hmm. And so when, when the research pointed toward the home life resources being the most important piece of the problem, I stopped thinking about education theory Mm -hmm. and perhaps doing something like starting a school. Right. And I started thinking about how do I get resources, better educational resources to impoverished kids? How would an impoverished kid perform if you gave them the benefit of coming out of a house that had middle class or above educational resources to Mm -hmm. it? How would that kid's life have been different as a learner if they had the good fortune of being born into more prosperity? Mm -hmm. That's at last. Right. right. So, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that that ties back into my question earlier. When, you're, when your life is spent trying to survive, you don't have time to think about thriving in other areas like school. Right. Right. I've got to, to your point, that 71% of my time is spent surviving. There's no free time to think about thriving in school. And so that's, that's just what's going through my head as you're sitting here talking is it makes so much sense. Because, of course, you can't be expected to thrive in school if I'm just surviving most of the time. Yeah, you don't have, you don't have the educational supports that other kids have that allow them to learn more proficiently. That's right. when, the other, when well-resourced kids leave school, mm-hmm. they go from one learning environment mm-hmm. home to another learning environment mm-hmm. that's conducive to them continuing to learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my challenges with learning when I was a child didn't arise when I was in school, mm-hmm. right? Like my challenge to my safety was in school yeah, because right. we fought all the time. Right. But right. my challenge to my learning didn't arise when I was in school. My challenge to my learning arose when I went home mm-hmm. to a loving mother mm-hmm. who was unable yeah. to put good learning supports yeah, around, mm-hmm. you. Yeah. around us. And, right. and, you know, don't, don't, Think of it in terms that are beyond maybe your perception. Mm-hmm. A quiet place to study mm-hmm. is an educational resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of us in a really small space. There was never a quiet place That's to right. study. Right. That's right. Yeah. Someone to help you figure out your homework yeah. Yeah. is an educational resource. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of stuff. So, yes, it, yeah. it makes a difference yeah. to resources and, you're surrounded and with. And, and even, I mean, structure 
is an educational resource mm-hmm. when you yes. come home. Yeah. You know, and you think about these impoverished neighborhoods that parents are killing themselves working just to provide and they're not getting home, you know, in Darren's right. instance, right. not getting home till 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And so to expect a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old to create structure for themselves to, yeah. mm-hmm. to get questions answered, yeah, regardless of the home. Yeah. Like regardless of the home, it, just the circumstances yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, put you, well, that you're, you're put in. And then you throw in summer break. Yeah. And that's two and a half months of now I don't have school that I go to. My parents can, yeah. they can count on that to support me mm-hmm. for that hour or for those hours of the day. And so now you, the, the kids that have the support at home, that's just another opportunity for them to get ahead is that summer that's right. break. That's right. And we serve in the program elementary school age kids mm-hmm. because as I've shared before, I'm not in the business of molding relatively hardened clay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like the human potential in a person never expires. Yeah. So I'm not saying that once you get beyond elementary school, you don't have the capacity to get better. Mm-hmm. I am saying that with the limited amount of resources, both time and monetary, mm-hmm. I feel as if the best yield that we're going to get mm-hmm. is with the more pliable mind of the elementary school age child. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we focus on kids in, in elementary school and we give them what they need for them to develop into proficient learners. Mm-hmm. I need for them, like there's, there's a set of fundamentals that come right. with every business, with every industry, uh, with every discipline, and obviously even in sports. Right. Uh, it's not enough to just work on a child's social and emotional health. It's necessary. Okay. So I am saying you must work on their social and emotional right. well-being. Mm-hmm. But it's not sufficient. It's not enough. Uh, heck, I was a basketball player. I was a point guard. And I felt really good about me. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was pretty good at right. it. Mm-hmm. But I never took the time to really develop my left hand the way that I needed to. So if yeah. you scouted me well, you knew where my He's kryptonite was. He's going to the right. He's going to the right <laughs> every time. Force him left. Yeah. And even as I felt good about myself as uh, I was bringing the ball up, mm-hmm. ultimately there was a fundamental that I didn't have that kept me from being successful at it. Right. Learning in academics is no different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how mm-hmm. to convert the teachings being presented to you from the front of the room, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to convert that teacher's uh, lesson into your own knowledge right. that you then carry with you as you move around the world, mm-hmm. then you're going to be lacking in a fundamental. So you may mm-hmm. feel good about yourself and have confidence, right. but you don't know that math operation. Mm-hmm. So right. you don't know how to do that. So you're that. building the foundation. Yes, yeah. fundamental skills. So what's the age? Uh, what, five, six, elementary, kindergarten? With this first cohort, third, fourth, and fifth graders. Okay. okay. We end after the sixth grade. So okay. you age out after the sixth grade mm-hmm. and you move into our alumni program. So yeah, you're in, in the sixth grade, you're an alum of mm-hmm. us and it's for a, a couple of practical reasons, right? right? We're a co-ed program yeah. and the kids are with us overnight. You know, when COVID allows, they're with us overnight mm-hmm. and I can't have boys and girls together in the same place after mm-hmm. the sixth grade. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Mother nature is undefeated. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to issue her her first down. loss. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not interested in that L. So it just, so yeah. for that reason. Yeah. And then also these are kids whose backgrounds are like mine. Once they get to 
12 and they're beyond sixth grade, mm-hmm. more than likely, and a lot of them are going to be needed to contribute to the family income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for pragmatic reasons, we stop after the sixth grade with our uh, sort of in program. Right. And they move to the alumni network. Okay. So walk us through the, like the, really the logistics of this, of this mm-hmm. from selection to execution and what it, what it looks like to these young students. So the selection, this is like winning like a $50,000 a year scholarship for someone to teach mm-hmm. you how to learn better. Right. The only fair way to allocate that kind of opportunity in an impoverished neighborhood is to do it by lottery. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do. Uh, we, we introduce the neighborhood that we serve to the program, make everyone aware of it. We invite folks to apply. Mm-hmm. And then if you meet the qualifications then you're, you're in the lottery, and then the lottery selects mm-hmm. who comes in. When I say meet the qualifications, the primary qualification is that you have to be impoverished. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are here to serve impoverished people of whatever gender, of whatever race, mm-hmm. of whatever religion, or whatever absence of religion. Mm-hmm. We are here to serve the poor. Yeah. And so you wind up in the lottery. We have a preference for those who live closest to the house because that's the community that we mm-hmm. serve. Mm-hmm. And... That's sort of the, the admissions process. And beyond that, it's a matter of them getting accustomed to what we do in their lives to develop this right. person mm-hmm. into a proficient learner. So they come to us. They are with us every day that precedes a school day. So right. every night that precedes a school day, you're with us so that you can be prepared to learn when you go into class the next day. So they are with us from Sunday afternoons at around 3 o'clock until they get out of school on Friday. And then Friday, when they get out of school, they go home for the balance of the weekend. They come mm-hmm. back to us on Sunday. Mm-hmm. When they come to us at 3 o'clock uh, on each of these days preceding a school day, the first three and a half hours is fairly academic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a time when we're teaching them these fundamentals of how you learn. Right. And we focus on the core classes. And so that, that happens during that time, and you have a counselor who's working with you. Right. Mm. And the program that I created for At Last is housed on an iPad mini, mm-hmm. and it gathers up data. The counselors are applying the program and entering data on radio buttons as they work with the students mm-hmm. so that we can capture the inputs that are going into the student. Mm-hmm. I want to know that we applied the program to every student comprehensively every day the way that it was designed mm-hmm. so that if we don't get the outcomes we're looking for, we can do root cause analysis. Right. 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 So they're pressing the buttons. The outcomes are being stored uh, in, in the data. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Power BI is helping us to create uh, dashboards that visualize the outcomes for each individual student. So that's the first three and a half hours. It's fairly academic. Mm-hmm. They also get a really nice dinner during that time. Right. Which is huge. Mm. It's good stuff. Hey, guys. It's me again. But do not click forward or fast forward through this. I'm about to give you some real Sleep tips here. This isn't your typical ad. And of course, these sleep sleep tips are brought to you by our friends at Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the Darren Woodson Show. Number one sleep tip, try going to bed and waking up around the same time every day. This includes weekends. I know the tendency is you wake up early all week and then on the weekends you sleep in, but this throws off your circadian rhythm. Try to keep the same Sleep routine, no matter what day of the week. Even those crazy wild animals like me who wake up early in the morning, 
Try to stay within 30 minutes of that wake-up time, even on the weekends. Step number two, don't try to stay up late and catch up on work. Look, I get it. Every single person I know is the busiest they've ever been in their life. Is The tendency is to stay up late, try to catch up on work, but try to have a cutoff time uh, so that you're not stressed heading into your bedtime. Step number three, avoid lit or lighted technology and electronics at least an hour before bed. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. We don't need to get into it, but try to avoid those at least an hour before bed. Step number or tip number four, keep your bedroom free of work-related items and instead make it your sanctuary. So this kind of ties back into step number two, but try not to bring your work into bed with you. Keep, keep the bed work-free. And then last two, step number five, avoid alcohol. Uh, that's hit or miss for some people. Uh, for me, that's not a big deal, but I know for others, love their alcohol. But alcohol does uh, have an effect on your sleep. Um, so make sure you limit your alcohol during the week if you can, especially in the evenings. And then number six and final, if you need to get up during the night to tend to someone else, a.k.a. a four-year-old or a one-year-old screaming baby, Keep lights low and conservate and conversation to a minimum to help ease you back to sleep afterwards. Uh, I usually keep conversation at a minimum at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you, um, so that part's not too hard. But try to keep lights low. So there you go. Like I said, not your typical ad read. Hopefully, you can apply uh, one of those six or multiple of those six steps to help you get better sleep. And as always, thank you to Sleep Number. Thank you for their partnership. Go to sleepnumber.com to learn more about all their amazing products uh, and go get yourself involved over there. We appreciate you guys. We love you. Now back to the episode. That's good stuff. That is huge. I can't tell you how many you know times I've been in the community and you hear the kids go to school, they don't eat, can't afford lunch. I mean, this, and sometimes the only meal they, of the day they have is at school. School, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, just, to have a, just having structure and then having a dinner. Yeah. Afterwards means so That's much. Right. Yeah, they they sit and they have dinner with us, and it's a chance to have dinner and communicate. Yeah, and sort of like this becomes your second family, right? And so family attributes about how it is that we sit around at dinner and talk mm-hmm. about how the day went, what your goals are, what you did well at today, what you didn't do well at, right. yeah, how that social conflict workout that you had yesterday mm-hmm. with that guy, like all that right. stuff, and have it to occur in a way that starts to. Uh, Help them to understand conflict resolution perhaps better than I did right, when I went right. to UT. <laughs> right, right, like all these things. And then at seven, uh, we expose them to the exploration of extracurricular interests. I was going to mm-hmm. ask. I was going to ask. Nobody just wants to learn what you want them to learn. Right. And they have their own. If you want to unlock someone's intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. let them bring it to bear on something that they care about. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to learn how to play an instrument, and then we will get you uh, a lesson and an instructor and an instrument. Oh, that's awesome. And then you can pursue that mm-hmm. if you're interested in animation. And we have a guy who comes in now and sort of gives them exposure to animation. The bottom line is that whatever it is that you're interested in, we're going to do our debt level best to give you exposure to it. Why? Because if you were growing up in a household mm-hmm. that had middle class or above resources, mm-hmm. that's what that parent would mm-hmm. do. Absolutely. With Yep. Your intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. they would foster it. Mm-hmm. And so we do that with the kids. Uh, and that, that piece is important to us. So that's an hour and a half. And then it, after that, there are a couple of things that have to happen. Number one, you have to reach out to your mom. Mm-hmm. So 
we've got the devices. It's FaceTime your mom time, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. we make sure that the mom is able to receive it. And then so that, that piece has to occur because every day you've got to touch base with mom because you need to know how her day went. She needs to know right. how yours yeah. went. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you have to enjoy reaching out to mom every day. You don't have to like it. Right. Yeah. You just have to do it. You'll you'll grow to like it because right. you won't be a kid all your life. Yeah. You know? And some things you do in life not because you enjoy it, but because of what it does for the other person. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And your mom hearing from you yeah. is restorative for her. Yeah. She matters too. So let's talk about that. How, yep. how, the relationship that moms, dads have with the school. I mean, it's got to be hard to have their babies go, yeah. you know, not at home for a number of days. What are you seeing? How are you guys tapping into that and convincing the mom or father to, yeah. to allow their child to go and take this, this commitment? Man, that's, that's, the, um, that's the high hurdle, mm-hmm. right, in this process. That's the high hurdle because the bottom line is that I'm not going to do a hard sell. Like, I'm mm. not going to convince you to do this. Yeah. You have to choose it. Right. Like this, this really is a resource that's only available to you if your mom decides that we're a good fit for your family. Mm. That's the only way. Because, number one, I want the moms to be the heroes in this. Right. I yeah. want to always be able to tell a child, you are here getting access to these resources because your mother made this available to you. Right. Mom has to remain the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. that's paramount. But on the front end of that, mom has to choose us, which is sort of your question. Right. And so we were a program that's really created. People hear about us and they think we're for bad parents. Right. And kids who have bad parents. We're here for kids who have good parents, mm-hmm. who value education and believe in their child's ability to learn. And understand the importance of that to that child's mm-hmm. future. Right. And finally, and in many ways, most importantly, they are willing to make a sacrifice yeah. to have that happen for their, their child. child. Yeah. The sacrifice in this instance is your child is going to be around the corner from you mm-hmm. for five nights a week right. so that they can become more proficient at learning. Like that's the sacrifice, and I don't minimize that. I right? Mean, it's yeah. it's a sacrifice. That's yeah. and that's a huge sacrifice. I, and as you're telling this, I'm like, you know, a, a five, six, seven, eight, nine year old. It's hard to comprehend. Like, why? Are, why am I just doing this? Like, why are you sending me away? Like, mm. that's got to be really hard. That's for, love, for though. Mom, I that's, mean, that's you, right. There's so it's much love there. It's a sacrifice. It is love, but it's like giving my child an opportunity. Mm just an opportunity knowing my circumstances Mm -hmm. like in in, i can i i can guarantee you this i would have been one of those kids yeah because my mother always always looking for ways to better her own her children yes and and understanding that and that's that's a huge sacrifice to make and that's that's pure love one of the things it's so just at last is so disruptive it is disruptive in the end i mean just in the inner city Mm -hmm. you're not seeing this take place around the country you know or you're not really hearing a lot about this how disruptive has it been in the inner city with DISD? Have they been, have they come to you with open arms to help through the process as well? You know, we, we don't find a monolithic response. Like mm. it isn't all embrace, 
and it isn't all stiff arm. Right? It's, right. it's a mixed bag, and it depends upon often the school leader. Yeah. Some principals, when I tell them, we can help the students in your underperforming school perform better mm-hmm. without us interfering at all with your school day. Right. Yeah. When I tell them that, they give me that suspicious look mm-hmm. because they've heard it all before. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get that. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. When I tell them how it is that we get there, it sort of perks up their interest because they realize that this is innovative and this is different and mm-hmm. it's not being done anywhere else. Now I have the benefit of also being able to tell them that last semester, which is our first semester actually having kids in program, mm-hmm. that we took the kids who had who were averaging a failing grade in their core classes and increased their grades by 21%. Mm-hmm. 21% is a lot. Right. A big jump. Yeah. If any school can improve the grades of its kids with the greatest deficits by 21% uh, in less than one semester, right. they'd shut down and have a parade the next day. Right. <laughs> so we've gotten from the principals who have embraced us, mm-hmm. They absolutely love us because the outcomes have improved. Mm-hmm. And those were for the kids with the deepest deficits. Right. I also measured the ones that didn't have the deepest deficits. And all of their grades improved as well. Not by 21% because you don't have as much room. Right. Math yeah. limits you. Right. I mean, you, yeah. it's a 100-point scale. Right. But they all improved. So some of the DISD schools uh, have embraced us. One in particular has embraced us uniquely well. Mm-hmm. And we've got a great partnership with them. We work well with them. Mm-hmm. And their students have performed better. Other DISD schools, uh, I, think that, I think that they are not embracing us because of the fear of the unknown. They don't know that we're not actually a school. Right. And yeah. I can't tell them that enough for them to conceive it and, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, perceive it and believe it. Others, because they don't know that we're not a school, they fear that we, may, that we may be trying to draw that kid mm-hmm. over to us and away from them. Mm-hmm. And state funding is based on enrollment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had the same thing with, uh, with the charters and to a lesser extent with the magnets. So I, that's part of it. The other part of it is they don't want to get in trouble and lose their job. Yeah. If they only do the things that the district tells them to do, they are not going to lose right. their job. Yeah, man, that's, and so I get it. You know, I don't... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a great way to move forward and improve an right. underperforming area, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And so my, my thing is this, and it's the same way with the parents. I'm not going to talk you into this mm-hmm. because to talk you into this means that I have to be your motivation right. every day to come back. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to be that gravitational pull for you. Right. I want to... I'm capable of doing that, but I want to put that energy into the children we're trying yeah. to improve. Right. right. That's where that energy goes with our program. Yeah. So when, uh, when a child is, wins the lottery, uh, are they in for the remainder of that period, or is, it, is there a new lottery every semester, every year? Yeah. How, how does that process go? Because you know, if, if a parent has a third grader, are they saying, okay, three years? Yeah, I mean, it's 
It's a great question. I'm not going to have a kid come in by lottery in the fourth grade, uh-huh. then have a new lottery and boot them out in the mm. fifth grade. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Once you have your spot, yeah. our rules are really simple. Number one, you have to follow the program rules. There are only a few of them. Yeah. One of which is uh, you need to try your best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't be your effort for you. Right. <laughs> we, we don't mind being your resources. I yeah. can't be your effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. If the kid comes in, and does his or her best every day. Yeah. This program is not one that's designed to create a universe of doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the point. It's honestly not even the goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The goal is there's a certain amount of capability that I believe the Lord has poured into every individual. Right. Yeah. The only goal we have in our program is that we want to remove the environmental impediments from you reaching the fullness of your human potential. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to go to college and thrive as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of folks out there who are going to do well in a very blue collar environment. What if you go out and become a really good plumber and then you own your plumbing practice Mm -hmm. and you make a really good living Mm -hmm. doing that? Why should I predetermine what your road should be? I want you to be an adult who's been well-educated who's a proficient learner because now you can actually have a choice filled life rather yeah. than being relegated yeah. to something that someone else mm-hmm. has chosen for you. Yeah. So we don't boot them out because they aren't making A's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't skim off the top 10% and only serve those. We will take whatever child you send walking through that door mm-hmm. and help him or her mm-hmm. refine the native intellect that they have and become a more proficient learner. And I'm going to celebrate the plumbers that we generate and the coders that we generate as much as I do the doctors and lawyers, because the neighborhoods that we serve don't produce a steady stream of blue collar workers. These would be working class neighborhoods if they did not impoverished neighborhoods. So I want to celebrate the full continuum of human potential that we find in these kids. And, yeah. and how many neighborhoods did you say you're serving and, and how many kids in total are being so served? So here's, here's our thing. We, we focus only on impoverished neighborhoods. And so we are in 75216 now, mm-hmm. which is the neighborhood that contributes. It's the zip code that contributes the most people to the Texas penitentiary system, mm-hmm. 75216. And that's in the entire state of Texas. That neighborhood, that zip code contributes the most. Mm. The zip code that contributes second most is 75217, the one that I grew up in. Mm. Those are the neighborhoods that we exist to serve. Mm. And so we built the first house on uh, the acreage that we bought. And as a business guy, I believe that you start small, Mm -hmm. prove the premise, Mm -hmm. and then you scale on a proven model. Absolutely, So the first house accommodates 16 scholars and residents. Okay. And the, the plans and designs and the acreage allows us to build two more houses on there. Mm-hmm. As we finish proving the premise, house two will be 15,000 square feet and it will accommodate another 82 scholars and residents. Mm-hmm. So at that mm-hmm. point we'll be at 98 and then house three will accommodate. It'll also be 15,000 square feet, 82 more scholars and residents and at that point, we'll be serving 180 on that site. And uh, at the same time, you mentioned the notion of us hearing from other cities and cities, areas. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll replicate this model 
and other areas where we find good scaling partners uh, and move yeah. forward from there. I know you said small, and I get your point, but think about those 16, oh the ripple gosh. effect that those 16 have. Okay. And, and, and I'm yeah. not saying that's what you were – I'm just saying that's no, no, amazing. I'm, that I'm in agreement with you. That you start mm-hmm. small, but look at that impact. It's if unreal. We could, if we could have 16 impoverished families attain social mobility by educating <clears throat> kids – that would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't diminish that in the slightest. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if I'm only able to do this for 16, it, I won't be satisfied with that. Sure. Because I think the potential for what we can do is so much greater. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I can have critical mass in the communities that I'm serving, serving 16 kids. Yeah, I can as I scale and serve more. But the worst thing that you could do is to start off huge Mm -hmm. before you've tested the premise, worked out the processes and gotten really, really confident efficient in the approach. You know, the first time we met um, over lunch, uh, the one thing I recognized about you and your wife, Jill, is that you guys are present. You're like, you're present in the moment. You know where you are right now and you know the impact and you know the possibilities of, of the impacts that you guys can make um, mm-hmm. moving forward. I want you, if we have listeners out there, how do we, how do we serve you? How do we give yeah. back to at last? What can we do to make a difference? Well, so I'm happy to tell you that. But I'll tell you, one of the things that really helps me to move forward, because everybody's reservoir you know, becomes more shallow right. at times, and then it replenishes. Uh, it's just having conversations with folks mm. who have a common journey. Mm. And I got more motivation just out of our conversation over lunch that day mm. because, as they say, game peep game. Mm. Right, right, right. <laughs> I could tell from our conversation that you were filling in, you were filling in parts of the sentence that I hadn't finished yet. Right. Because our life experiences have provided us with the verbiage. Absolutely, yeah. And so the fact that you had a mom whose sacrifice was common with my own, mm-hmm. and you had a journey that was similar to my own, right. just gave me more reason to believe that the, you never know which of the kids that we have it at last today is going to have the blessing of a life like mine yep. or a life like yours. Yeah, absolutely. So I absolutely. took motivation, and energy from that. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Those who want to learn more about Atlas or be supportive of Atlas, our website is www.atlastboardin.com. That's atlastboarding.com. You'll be able to learn more about us there. If you are so moved, you'll be able to donate there. If you want to volunteer there, do that. And otherwise, be an ambassador for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell yep. people about us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been fortunate to have uh, podcasts mm-hmm. about us like this one today and news stories about us. Right. Uh, we'll post those on the website. But also, you know, if we hadn't had a chance to, to post them yet, find them right. and just look at them. There are news stories out there that will tell you about us in two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Share those with your friends. Share those with the policymakers. 
uh, in your area, share those with the businesses at which you work mm, and yeah. the organizations in which you volunteer. Uh, that would be helpful. We never have enough ambassadors and advocates. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is this. The neighborhoods that we serve are not the impoverished person's portion of the human zoo. Mm. Don't just stand back and observe. Mm. You know, we've got to work on this actively with things that have effect. I'm going to do all I can to make sure that at last remains one that has effect. So we welcome anyone who wants to be with us. So from a funding standpoint, is it uh, strictly donation? Is it partners? Is it grants? What, what has been the strategy to take? Cause obviously you, you know, you have to staff it. You have to, you know, keep the real estate up, you know, up and coming. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of yeah. costs. I mean, transportation, food, food. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So how is, how has that been in the house, but the reception from the community been? So I'll start with, you're right. right? <laughs> there's like a lot of costs associated with this. And in the nonprofit space, you don't get a lot of support until you prove your premise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, we've been fortunate in that we have gotten support from what I call the conventional philanthropic community, mm-hmm. primarily because the Bowman Family Fund went first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we are still yeah. the largest individual donor right. to this operation. And I say that with full appreciation for the fact that, again, conventional grant makers in Dallas mm-hmm. have made good grants to us. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Grant makers in town that are blue chip. Great. Communities Foundation of Texas, the Cruth yeah. Fund, Hoblet Zell Fund, the Hillcrest Foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the Simmons Sister Fund. They've, they've oh, all wow. right. made contributions to us, and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to go first. Yeah, because no one was going to buy that land for us to do this. No Mm -hmm. one was going to pay all the pre-development costs that needed to be us. And so that's one of the ways. But we also make money. I'm a business guy, so I'm going to do alternative revenue Mm -hmm. efforts Mm -hmm. uh, that are low risk. And we do things that uh, may not seem uh, down the middle of the fairway. One of the things we do every year with a radio station here in town is we do a domino tournament. Nice. It's called Donnie's DFW Domino Classic. Mm -hmm. And nobody thinks that a domino tournament is going to make very much in the way of money. (laughs) I have to tell you. I don't know. They show up, don't they? Our domino tournament. (laughs) Our domino tournament is uh, a six-figure domino tournament. That's amazing, It's it's ridiculous. And and so I think uh, Donovan Lewis, who's the on-air personality, who is the Donnie in Donovan's DFW Domino Mm -hmm. Classic, Mm -hmm. He grew up in the neighborhood where Atlas is located. Yeah. And so he and I just sort of clicked around that. And I asked him one day, we were talking about Atlas. He's like, man, I want to do something to help this. I was like, well, what do you like to do? He says, I like dominoes. Uh-huh. We're like, all right, brother, give me two weeks. Right. <laughs> and I'll come Plans. back to you with Bones. something. Yeah. <laughs> and I brought that back to him, the domino. And it's, it's been great. So awesome. we, we apply yeah. for money uh-huh. and, and grants. But the business guy and me can't just sit back and wait for someone else to decide yeah. whether or not we get money. Right. Yeah. So we go out and write up own. an application, wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally get I respect the process, yeah. but we can also make money on our own. Yeah. So we right. do both. 
That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Are there any strategic partners out there that, that y'all are looking for to partner with that could help, um, you know, with either operations, you know, whether it's transportation, whether it's, is there any, anything out there that you're in need of? Cause if there's someone out there that's just, that's moved by this conversation, the impact that you're making in the community, it's like, all right, Hey, I know this group, or I know that, are there any, any of those? Yes, we have. If you think that you can be helpful to us, mm-hmm. reach out to us. Okay. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is that we're running a residential operation. Mm-hmm. So think of all the things that go with that. That's Food right. goes with that. Detergent goes with that. Transportation, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. goes with that. Yeah. Like there's uh, landscaping goes with that. Mm-hmm. Like repair and maintenance yep. goes with that. The kids that we serve uh, could often use more clothing. So clothing yeah. goes with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There, there is no area of need yeah. that we don't have. Yeah. Right. The partners that we're looking for, Dallas is a community that's blessed mm-hmm. with corporate citizens yeah. who want to be great corporate citizens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We would welcome yeah. the opportunity to partner with them whether it's uh, Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. uh, individual entrepreneurs, right. private equity companies, sports organizations, whatever you are, yeah, you know this. Everyone has an appetite to serve. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Here's your opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I love oh. it. Love it, man. I love it. You got your last. Yeah, yeah. Our our last question that we ask every guest, and this goes a little bit back more towards your journey, but you could apply it to to what you're doing at last as well. If you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, doesn't necessarily mean you change anything, but if you just go tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? I go to, I probably go to a 14-year-old me who has discovered that he has a bleeding ulcer. Not by going to the doctor because we didn't have health insurance but because he passed out in front of his home and was discovered there bleeding and wound up at Parkland in the emergency room. I would go to that guy and I would say, it's going to work out. I think if he knew that, he might not have contracted the bleeding ulcer that rolled with him throughout high school, college, and law school until he could get insurance and until he could get medicine. I'd like to go and tell that guy that so maybe he doesn't have to ride out that ulcer. The lack of health insurance is life-altering. It's amazing. You may have wanted something more no, cheery than no, that. I don't know. I, don't know. Right. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I didn't no, quite. No, that's why we Boy. asked that question because everybody's answer is so different, and, and you just don't know what 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 speaks to people. And so, thank you for sharing that. You know what? It's yeah. it's interesting though. Is is that was so different than any answer we've ever gotten? But it's so much. How we hear it, like it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Imagine, imagine these kids, and, and it's typically that 12 to 15 range. They, they, people would go back to that range. Imagine if we had more 
mentors, more parents, more people of influence over these 12 to 15 year olds, they could step in and share that with them. Right. That it's going to be okay. Yeah. That you're going to make it. This is just, this is just a yeah. valley right now. Yeah. Yeah. And this conversation, you know, you mentioned the word shockwave, the shockwave, just off of one, just changing one kid's life, the shockwave, not, the shockwave that happens in the community for the parents, the yeah. family. Yeah. Whatnot. We need more. Mm. We do. We need more, man. And uh, Randy, I promise you, right here, I'm going to make a difference. It's something that I've always felt. It's something that I talk about on this show all the time. Is about mm -hmm. education, education, educate. And it's not fair. I hate when I, I can't stand when I hear people say, "Well, we're on the same playing field." No, we're not. No, no, we're not. I was that kid. I didn't have the opportunity. That's right. And I know my mother would have play, would have put me in to at last just to. Just because of the love, yes, and and, and the want to, so uh, I'm gonna make a commitment, man, to to help and bring awareness to that last man. And I appreciate your time today. I appreciate that commitment. I look forward yeah. to working with you on that because I know it comes from your heart. Yeah, uh, fed by your experience. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate. Wow, it. we really appreciate you sharing your journey, sharing your story, because it gave so much context about at last y'all are doing so thank you so much thank you all man i really yeah. appreciate you having thanks, me thanks, thanks guys